a lot of people default to just telling the story of how they got the company started and, and what the, and it's and it's this long drawn out thing. What I try to think of is when people say, "What is it you do?" What does immediate do? I like to try to boil it down to to really hitting what the problem is that we're solving and why it's impactful. And um, and then if there's follow on questions, you can kind of dig in deeper. And so I, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about it myself, um, talking to people that that work here at Immediate about it, and uh, and really making sure that everybody at the company knows when somebody says, "What is it you do?" Um, the, the the default is to go to we're we're a financial wellness company and we're trying to solve a, a major pain point for so many Americans living paycheck to paycheck. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and today we're joined by my new friend, Matt Pierce, who uh, has a really cool startup here that's actually here in Alabama that we're going to talk about and learn the problem that they're solving. And while we're doing that, we're going to be grilling. I say grilling because this is going to be pretty quick. We are going to be using some smoke. A uh, chicken breast that's... uh, Nicely seasoned, and we're going to hit it with some Alabama white sauce when we're done. I got an Alabama guy, so why not do it Alabama style? Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Jared. Glad to be here. Those that are familiar with the show, this will be the first episode where I have ever grilled a, literally a single piece of meat. And let me confess as to why. During the pandemic, I got very spoiled uh, with grocery delivery. And I ordered, <laughs> I ordered some chicken. I thought, yeah, I'm going to do some chicken this episode. And so I ordered all this chicken, and I'm going to put Instacart on blast. Come on, Instacart. And I know I should be ordering from Shipped. But, you I know. was going to say that, Jared. I, I feel well, su- surprised it's not Shipped. Well, here's the chicken. Looks great. It's a single chicken breast because I got it wrong. Instacart had, um, Instacart had a great deal that my wife signed up for. And, you know, maybe I need to come back to the hometown shipped, you know, after I, after I've uh, lost a couple of battles trying to hire developers, uh, to them, I thought, well, maybe I'm, (laughs) maybe I'll just go to the Instacart people. But, um, so yeah, they showed up and I didn't have enough chicken. So I thought, I guess I'm grilling a single chicken breast this week, which is pretty (laughs) silly. So Matt, it's good to see you, man. Um, I keep hearing about immediate in the media, uh, I think it's a cool business, a cool problem to solve. Why don't you tell everybody about uh, Immediate and, and the problem that you guys are going after? Absolutely. I, I appreciate w- what you said there. We're, we've been doing a lot um, and, and trying to get our name out there, and we've been growing like crazy. And um, and to your point, it's something that's so needed. And so the really quick uh, rundown on what Immediate does is, is we're a financial wellness platform. I like to tell people we're like a financial safety net. And, uh, and, and the real genesis is that a lot of people have unexpected financial expenses that pop up in between paydays. And so what we do is we seamlessly connect to time tracking and payroll systems so employees can access their already earned pay in between paydays for either free to an immediate card or a nominal transaction fee to their own card or their own bank account. And really what we're doing there is we're, we're trying to give them, as I said, kind of that financial safety net um, but also to keep them from turning to predatory title and payday loans or running up credit card debt, writing bad checks, things of that nature. And so um, we're having a lot of fun. We're impacting a lot of lives. And, and, um, and it's, it's a mission-driven organization, which makes it even, even more fun to get up and go to work every day. Yeah. And I, I want to point out, to, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are, that are like early in their entrepreneurial, th- entrepreneurial, entre- excuse me, 
entrepreneurial thing. Um, there's no truth that I've been drinking any before we get started on this. So, but I want to point out, like, listen to the way Matt just pitched his business there. That was like, that was an excellent pitch because like the average person, if you drop them into immediate might just say, Oh, you, you get paid faster. Right. But you correctly pointed out the benefits of keeping people away from credit card debt, keeping people away from predatory, like payday loans. That's just such, that is like a masterclass right there, guys, on finding the way to position your business, because that's true. That is the net effect of what happens when you use a business like that. Uh, Jared, thanks for saying that. I've, um, I've, I've practiced it a ton. Um, but uh, <laughs> I also, uh, I also feel like, you know, a lot of the times people ask specifically for an elevator pitch. Right, or you mm, you ask yeah. them to introduce their business, and I think what a lot of entrepreneurs do is they default to telling their story. Right, yeah. what you didn't hear me say was, well, four years ago I was doing this and this. Now we may get into that, right? I know we got some time to chat here, um, sure. but a lot of people default to just telling the story of how they got the company started and and what the, and it's and it's this long drawn out thing. What I try to think of is when people say, "What is it you do?" What does immediate do? I like to try to boil it down to to really hitting what the problem is that we're solving and why it's impactful, and um, and then if there's follow on questions, you can kind of dig in deeper. And so I, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about it myself, um, talking to people that that work here at Immediate about it, and uh, and really making sure that everybody at the company knows when somebody says, "What is it you do?" Um, the, the, the default is to go to, we're, we're a financial wellness company and we're trying to solve a, a major pain point for so many Americans who live in paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. You, and you get people that are, I guess, product oriented, or if you have a product person, try to explain that and they're going to go, okay, so we made this button, right? right? And when you click that button, you get these four menu options and you get, <laughs> and like that, I mean, it's, you get super specific about what it does, but you're not actually, I, I think people care about why do I use it? Right. Right. That's what actually makes people want to buy something is why, why do I want to do that? Well, it solves this problem. Right. And, and I think that's, um, that's good. Now, how long have you guys been at this? We're a little North of four years since I started ideating on it. And so I, I, I did wow. have a, a previous startup that, um, I was doing nights and weekends and really kind of fell into with a prospect, a, a conversation that I felt like we were missing a bigger opportunity. And, so that was in September 2018, and we spent about a year kind of navigating the legal, regulatory, compliance hurdles that come with dealing with people's money, um, making sure that we weren't yeah, viewed and regulated as a lender, because that's obviously a, a, a big thing and, uh, and, and is costly if you've got to go get money transmitter licenses and, and things of that nature. So we spent a lot. Actually, I laugh about it. I tell people in the first six or seven months, we were, we were bootstrapping and and I remember looking at some of the bills that were going out and I was like, guys, we're spending more on legal than we're spending on building <laughs> the product, you know? <laughs> and, and obviously in hindsight, it was a good investment um, yeah. because we, we made sure that we, you don't, what you don't want to do is build a product and then get six months, 12 months down the road and then go, well, gosh, we're on the wrong side of the law and you got to start over. And so we did it the right way, but it was tough early on when you're, you're writing those checks to make sure that you're in, in, in the, on the right side of the law from a regulatory perspective. But we ended up launching our first customer in September, 2019. So we're a little, little beyond three years being in market. Yeah, I always said don't you never scrimp on on lawyers and surgeons, right? You just right. do it right, and you'll be you'll be way better off if, after you do that. Um, how did the pandemic affect your business? I, I noticed you said you got going in September 2019. So then, like you know, less than six months later, the whole world's flipping over. Early on, there was a lot of gnashing of teeth, right? I think across the world, 
but for us of goodness, we're really young. We fortunately had just done our first round of funding. We'd raised about a million and a half dollars. Oh, great. And, um, who'd you raise that through? We did that through friends and family, uh, that, okay. that first round. And so um, we got we got going there, started hiring people, hired our, our first full-time. I was, the, I was the only guy, wasn't taking a salary, so I don't even know if you can call me an employee. But, um, <laughs> but I was the, That's how I that was, goes, right? Right. <laughs> and so I was the only guy. And then in December, December 2019, we hired three people with some of the funding that we had just gotten. And um, February, we, we really started getting some traction and I think we closed six or seven deals in, in February, 2020. In February of 2020. Really? Was that, was that just coincidental that it was, it was just kind of catching on cause it was a good idea or was there something about the pandemic that drove that for people? It was right before the pandemic really, um, really hit. I mean, I think, I think March 13th, March 14th, something like that was when we started quarantine. And so it was for us, it was we were going out and pushing hard one, you know, <clears throat> it was, like I said, just, just me. And, um, the, the people we hired were doing, were ready to do implementations and support. And so I'm, I'm kind of sitting here going, all right, I just hired a couple people to take care of customers. And at that point, I think when we raised our first round of funding, we had four customers and I was like, I've, I've got to get to work. Right. And I was just working round the clock. I remember, um, my my youngest daughter was born August thirtieth, twenty nineteen, and so I was, you know, fortunately I was, or unfortunately, depending on where you sit, um, I was up most hours of the night trying to take <laughs> care of her. Right, every couple of hours, and so uh, my wife and I kind of devised this plan of where uh, I would stay up until about two for that last that last feeding, and then I would go down, and then she would she would get up at the five or five thirty feeding, and so what it did was it gave me time. When I did the 11 o'clock from 11 to two, I was just hustling and I was sending out sales emails and I was finding, you know, all the prospects I could and doing everything I could. And so a lot of that started to pay off in February. And fortunately for us, a lot of the groups we signed up in February were in healthcare. And so you fast forward into March when quarantine happens and and these were a lot of senior living groups. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, you may not because it's, it's a little nuanced, but a lot of senior living, because you're dealing with an aging population, they, and, and early on, we just didn't know how bad COVID was going to be. And so a lot of the senior living communities kind of went into lockdown and said, right, when yeah. you step foot in here, you're not leaving, right? right. And you got to come in and you got to stay. And, um, because we don't want you going out and then bringing something back in. And, and so we rolled those groups out really quickly. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about this now, you know, probably customer 12 or 13, we rolled out in less than 14 days. Wow. And, um, and so they, they signed up at the end of February and then this started happening. They said, we got to get live. And, um, I think we were actually manually processing some stuff the first couple pay periods, but, but we made it work, right. It's the scrappiness of an early stage company. And, um, and then because of the pandemic, back to your original question, because of the pandemic, we were able to go in and start really pushing uh, prospects on our platform as a retention strategy, right? A lot, of, a lot of employers across the country were struggling with trying to get people out of the house and into the workplace. And, and obviously for us, that worked really well focusing in healthcare early on. And, uh, and so we grew our business really rapidly over the course of the first you know, seven, eight, nine months of, of the pandemic. And it sprung board us fast enough 
um, uh, in, in order to go out and do another bigger round of funding and um, and really kind of start started igniting the fire and where we are today. You mentioned you had a startup before. Um, tell me about that. or I guess maybe back up a little bit and tell us how you got to this you know position with immediate where 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 did you where were you at before that so what i coming out of grad school I, I worked in healthcare technology and so we were selling software to doctors and i was fortunate enough to to get on board with a, a an early stage company i was employee 55 we built it up to about 850 employees and wow took it took it public and then we were acquired by a large private equity uh, firm called vista and Vista merged us with two of our competitors. So over the course of a decade that I was there, I went from employee 55 to 1,800 employees, about a $350 wow. million a year business. It was wild, right? And, wow. and with the Vista acquisition, we went back private. And so I went like early stage, rapid growth, kind of continued to grow in my career because I just took on every job. I was in partnerships. I took on every job I could in partnerships. And finally, they got to a point where they're like, well, Matt, you've done every job in the department. You might as well run it, right? And so, um, so I was fortunate enough to get that while we were going through the the IPO process. We go public, and um, and I'm managing a team. I had about a 25 million PL, and I was probably 30, 31 years old. And then Vista came in, and um, good exit. We sold the company for about 650 million dollars, and wow. and um, and then I just got this like one year, I ended up saying about a year after Vista came, but I got about a one year really deep dive. I mean, I kind of consider it, I, I got an MBA. I kind of consider it my real world MBA of, of having private equity come in and really show you how a business is designed to be run. I was literally just having a conversation with someone earlier today about, about how good companies, in my opinion, have the right mix of culture and process. And, and what I found after Vista acquired us was that we were a little too heavy on culture. And mm. when I got over into the Vista world, I felt like we were a little too heavy on process. And so as <laughs> I kind of got out and started figuring out what I wanted to do, and one of the things I, I knew from a very early age was that I wanted to, to, to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to, I don't know that I ever put that, those words together. I don't know if I can even say that when I was uh, in, in college, but I knew that I wanted to run a business, right? And so I always looked at my career as these are these are opportunities for me to learn and grow. And so that one year that I was there that Vista was in, I was sitting around, a, and I remember going in the, the, the week after and leadership me in the week after we were acquired and looking around this table and just thinking, how in the hell did I get here? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, and I just sopped it up everything I could get, everybody I could learn from. And, 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 um, and so it was a really good, uh, it was a really good year for me to learn about the importance of process and, and so all this to say is I ended up leaving. I went to work for a company in Boston. Two years, I went to work for a company in LA for about a year. Kind of got burned out on travel. I was living in Atlanta, commuting all around. And around that time, uh, my, my grandmother was having some health issues. And so I actually started a company. I left the company I was at in LA. And I started a company building out scheduling and payment processing for um, non-medical home care. So I was going in and partnering with, with agencies to help them manage their outstanding AR and help create more caregiver transparency, largely just because of some of the issues that I'd seen in, 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 in my, own, with my own family and the way that we were struggling to manage remotely uh, my grandmother's care. So that's what I was doing. And I got to a point with about eight to 10 customers, decided I wanted to go all in on it. And I went and pitched an investor and he said, if you can go land a, a big customer, 
then um, and show me that this is scalable beyond just 30 to 40 employee companies that I'm really interested. And so I went out to a 2000 employee company, give the best pitch of my life, as you can imagine, Jared. Yeah. And, um, and this lady, this lady just almost like patting me on the head, you know, like, <laughs> Matt, that was cute. That was cute. You know, um, just so you know, most companies our size have already figured out outstanding AR turnover, oh, you know, like, and, 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 and it was, I mean, it, it made sense. Right. And so I really quickly swapped hats. I stopped trying to sell her. And I think that's a really important aspect of business and entrepreneurism is, is you've got to know when to stop pushing the envelope. You've got to know yeah. when to change speeds. You've got to go, you've got to know when to, when to uh, evolve. Read, read the room, right? Read the room. Exactly. Right. And so I swap hats, I throw on my consulting hat and I said, um, well, what is your biggest problem? If you're not struggling with outstanding AR and you're not struggling with, with, caregiver transparency and knowing where they are, what's your problem? And she says, it's easy. It's turnover. And I said, okay, how bad of a problem is that? She goes 62% a year. And I go on 2000 employees. And she said, yes. And I go, so you're training a hundred new caregivers a month. And she said, yes. So here in my mind, I'm playing this out. The reason that my grandmother was having, we were having a difficult time managing the care of my grandmother was because we're working with 30, 40 employee companies. If they were having the 60% turnover, right? It's just the odds are every two or three months, the same person that was coming to take care of her is not going to be there anymore. And so I'm playing this out in my head and I said, well, what can I do to help you with that? And she says, you know what I like the most about what you're building is that you allow the agencies to get paid at the end of a day. Could you do that for my caregivers? And I said, yeah, if you use my payment processing hmm. engine. She says, what about without using your payment processor? And I said, I had to put some thought into it. She goes, Matt, if you can figure that out, you're on to something. And, uh, and so I left wow. and, and I went and I had a conversation with a mentor of mine a couple of days later. And I told him that same conversation, the same story I just told you. And he goes, hey, Google, Google how many people live paycheck to paycheck in the U.S. And 180 million people in the U.S. workforce, 78% are paycheck to paycheck. And, um, and so he said, well, where where do people turn when they need money? And that's when I started figuring out how bad credit card debt is, like what the average APR of a title loan is 300%. Average payday loan APR is 391%, which essentially means, I mean, just to to boil it down, it essentially means if you borrow a hundred dollars from a payday lender, it takes you a year to pay them back. You have to pay back your hundred dollars in principal and $391 in fees. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's crazy. And, and just, you know, re- really transparently, I'd never dealt with any of that stuff. Um, never carried a credit card balance in my life. Um, I, you know, I came out of college with a job. I made decent money. I always li- I always spent less than I made. Um, and so I didn't know that this was such a big issue. And it was kind of like a, kind of like a smack in the face of one, like how naive can you be, Matt? Like, like you should be more aware of the world around you, but also, hey Matt, there's a there's a huge need, and somebody needs to fix this, and and so that that was kind of the the genesis of this opportunity for us to go out and figure out a way, um, and I alluded to it earlier, but figure out a way to connect to existing systems so we can give people a responsible alternative to those predators when they find themselves in a financial bind. Would you say that's the hardest part of your business is is working with a lot of different systems? Early on, I would say yes. Um, today, we we're integrated with uh, with about sixty five different time tracking and payroll systems. We we made the decision early on. We 
we looked at opportunities to go partner with companies that just go in and do screen scrapes and you got to pay every time you run reports from those groups. So there's companies out there who do that. And, and some people want to use those. That's great. We felt like some of the IP that we could build as an organization would be to go build these integrations. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to have, uh, have some connections with people who have built integrations at other companies and in the healthcare uh, technology world, which is not easy to do, as you can imagine, when you're dealing with PHI. And so when we went out there and we started building this, and now we've got 65 time tracking and payroll integrations, I, you know, uh, if my CTO is here, he may kick me under the table and go, it's still pretty tough, but I feel like <laughs> we've kind of cracked the code on that, right? And so I don't think that's the toughest part of, of, of what we do today. I would say today, and <clears throat> I'm, I mean, I, I may even go back to say at the beginning, um, and still today, the toughest part of what we do is helping people understand, and by people, I mean prospects, helping HR and finance, uh, finance professionals that are working at companies, help them understand what we do and how impactful it can be for their business. Because today, less than 12% of companies are offering a platform like what we offer. It's technically called earned wage access, but less than 12% penetration in the market. So you still find people that go, mm, this sounds like a lot of work. This sounds like it's going to be uh, very, very, uh, very much a change to our existing processes. And, and so the, I would say that's the toughest part is kind of helping people understand the simplicity with, with what we do. I can imagine that. I mean, it is a complicated subject. I'm actually going to check on the chicken. And if you're, if you're, uh, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever, you can actually catch these videos on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, and you'll notice that I'm getting blinded uh, by the – sun because we're shooting in the alabama afternoon so uh oh the chicken's looking pretty good the single chicken breast is looking pretty good i think i may slow this down a little bit and get it a little more smoke you ever grill out by the way matt i do i'll tell you i don't have a smoker uh like what you're working with and that's probably next on my list i've got a uh, uni pizza oven that we do i don't do it as as, oh. as much as my wife would like but those are pretty awesome and then I've got a gas grill. What I usually do is, uh, we talked about this a little little bit before we got started. I'm a big fan of the sous vide. Um, and and so I like to sous vide my meat and get it to whatever temperature I'm looking for. And then I, I take it out and finish it on the grill. And in, in some cases, I'll tell you what's been really fun is I'll actually take a, a cast iron skillet and heat it up on that uni. That uni gets like a thousand degrees. And really? I'll get the, yeah, I mean, it gets really hot and, uh, I'll, I'll get the, the cast iron skillet, throw it in the uni for about 10, 15 minutes and then, um, finish the, finish the steaks and the cast iron grill in the uni. So it's like a minute each side, just get a good sear wow. on, on the outside. And that's, uh, that's my favorite to do. So I'm, I'm usually, if I'm grilling out, I'm usually a, a, a steak kind of guy, but, um, yeah, so I, I like to do it. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not great at it, uh, but I, I like to do it. You do the pizza stuff on it too, right? Yeah. You can do pizzas on there and I'm, I'm, I'm decent with pizzas. I've got a couple of friends that came over when I, to be really frank, I, the, one of the first times I did it, my wife invited some friends over and I was, I, I had a little bit of nerves because of how hot that thing gets. And and up just crisping some um, some some of the crust, and uh, and so I've been very gun shy about inviting people back for more pizza, but I've been I've been working on it. I'm trying to get better at it. Yeah, and obviously my so my producer just let me know that I was getting blown over with wind. So I'm having to move 
to like dodge the Alabama sun. But I guess so. What I was talking about was the uni, and not sure if I'm supposed to have one of these or whatever. I, the concern I had was I used to have you know one of the green egg style you know ceramic grills, and the problem with that thing was it was so much pomp and circumstance just to do anything, and so it was right. like you know, half hour, 45 minutes of prep time. <laughs> and if it's a Tuesday night and you're just throwing two chicken breasts on for you and your wife, it's like all this work for like, tss, tss, you know, and then you're done right. and you're like, I don't know if I'm doing that again. Right. So I like, I've got the pellet grill here. I know I get a lot of hate from barbecue purists who say that that's a, but look, that's what works for my lifestyle. Like I'm super busy, got a lot going on. This helps me grill more, which I think is an important part, uh, you know, spiritually for me to be grilling. So, um, that's what I do. But the uni is something that I feel like I need to explore. Well, Jared, if you ever want to try it out, you holler at me. I'll let you come, come try mine. I, but Hey, look, I agree with you. I, <clears throat> I think when you're grilling, it's, it's gotta be something that fits your lifestyle, right? Like right now I got, I got three young kids, a wife and a dog and a startup, right? <laughs> I, I'm not going to spend a bunch of hours standing outside smoking something. I, some may argue that I should to decompress, but you should probably I'm, be smoking something to get through all that. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I, you know, I like for me, that's why I like the sous vide and then taught and then finishing on a grill because I can do that in, in parallel. I mean, when, when I was in the middle of quarantine, when we were locked down, I loved it because I could pop up in between calls at like three o'clock. I could get a pot of water going. I could get it to 135 degrees. I could drop my steaks or chicken or whatever in there, right? And I know that it's cooking while I'm finishing my day, and then and then it's ready. All I got to go do is pop it on the grill and sear it. And so I I think you you got to do what fits your lifestyle and what what makes the most sense for you and your your current situation. Yeah, I agree. So what is the you know what's next for immediate? I mean, I know you guys are scaling, you're growing. This has been a four year sprint. You know, what's next for you guys? Obviously, you're continuing to grow. You're adding customers. Are you guys going to go lateral? Are you are you going to stick to the stick to your niche? What, what are you guys going to do next? Next for immediate, we're to your point. We are. We're still growing. We're we're up to a little over 50 employees now, which is awesome. We're over 300 customers, all 50 states. We've we've just been uh, pouring gas on the fire. And, and so what, what we're looking at going into 2023, I'm actually, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really fired up about this. This is, I, I'm going to try to not, uh, take us down a rabbit hole here. Is this breaking news? Are you about to break news? No, I, well, we, there's, there's some news that's going to break soon, uh, but I can't break it here yet. Um, oh. but what I, what I, what I would go down a rabbit hole on is something that we've been doing as an organization. It ties back a little bit to what I talked about in the, the first company I was a part of. You know, early on in a business, a lot of times you're shooting from the hip, right? You're, it's very subjective. Um, we're we're on a, a podcast with two Alabama uh, entrepreneurs, and and we're grilling meat. So I'm I'm going to use the yeah. the southern analogy here. When we were getting started, we were we were hunting with a shotgun, right? Okay. And uh, and we would take any business. I mean, that's kind of the, the the good and bad about what we do, right? Is the ubiquity of the need. And so uh, first customer was like a fencing company and then a landscaping company and then the coffee shop that I was working at uh, most days because I didn't have an office yet. And my wife says I'm too loud to work in the house. And so you, you just kind of keep going, right? And then as I mentioned, senior living, physician practices, yada, 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 yada. So what ends up happening is we'd take everything we could. And then after about a year and a half, two years, I sit back and I go, 
can we start evaluating this data? Because our platform is not something that you roll out to 100% of people. You roll it out to a company as a volunteer benefit. And right now, about average 25% of employees will download and activate. Now, an average is, of course, an average. We've got a community college that has 7% enrollment, and we've got a restaurant group with 55% enrollment. Whoa. So, right. So it's like, where, where are we going to want to spend our time? Yeah, big, big difference. Exactly. And so, so that's one of the things that we've done to, to finish that analogy is go from, we were hunting with a shotgun. Now we're hunting with a rifle, right? We're focused in verticals where we're seeing higher enrollment, higher usage, higher engagement. And so by doing that, it's, it's allowing us to be more effective and efficient as a business and in our scale. And so uh, the thing that I'm really fired up about is uh, and we're, we're filming this here uh, late November. Uh, I don't know when it'll come out, but, but I assume by the time it's come out, we probably would have already done this. But middle of December, we're doing a company wide all hands. Where we're bringing in, we've got about 35 to 40 on payroll. The, the rest are 1099s that are working with us in some, some capacity. But we're bringing 35 to 40 people to our headquarters in, uh, in downtown Homewood. And, and we're clearing out the whole big room downstairs. We've got three huge TVs. And we're spending a whole day, uh, department by department, spending about 30 to 45 minutes apiece talking about the impact that that individual department has to the overall scheme and growth strategy going into 2023 for our company. And, and so what's really cool about it is we've got four years worth of data to support what we're doing and, and how we're going to evolve and change going into 2023. And so I'm, I'm super fired up about it because what's happening is it's this shift from subjectivity to objectivity, right? It's this shift from shooting from the hip, uh, hunting with a shotgun to hunting with a rifle, understanding objectives, managing people and teams to those objectives. And I feel like what's going to happen in 2023 is with that, with those tighter processes and really giving people a, a strategic vision of where we're headed. I think 2023 is just going to be uh, an incredible year of growth for immediate. I mean, I can see it too. As a, how old are you, by the way? Is that is that an appropriate question to ask? I don't know. Can I? No, totally fine. I'm I'm 41. 41. So obviously, super impressive guy. You know, 41 years old, got this startup going, growing, making a bunch of noise, having success. What do you do to prepare for a new year? Because I know everybody that's doing something like you, right? That's that's as successful as you are. Um, Everybody kind of has their own little way that they attack a new year. So not 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 we're actually talking about as CEO of Immediate or whatever, mm -hmm. but like Matt Pierce, the man, right? Yeah. What do you do to prepare for a new year and and hit it head on? It's a lot of reflection. I, I think that the nice thing about the end of the year having the holidays is um, is that you can you can hit pause for a couple of days. I was able to do it last week with, with Thanksgiving and spend some time with my family. I'm, um, I'm planning on doing it um, right around Christmas time and spend some time with my family. And then I'm usually in work in the week after Christmas, kind of really last final push, getting ready for going into January. But I, I take a lot of time to sit down and reflect on my personal areas of growth over the past year and, uh, and then making a strategic plan for myself as to what I'm going to need to do better going into the new year. I can tell you areas where I've slipped this year is like personal um, health. I'm not exercising mm. as much as uh, as I need to, and I know that there's just a full psychological and physiological changes that come when you're when you're regularly exercising, right? And and if I look at last year, I can tell you last year wasn't as busy 
because we didn't have as many customers and have as many people. We didn't have as much stuff going on. Right. And so last year I was really good about four to five days a week exercising and by exercise, I mean, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of whether it's cardio or going for a long walk or, or weights, whatever it is. I haven't been as good this year. This year I've been kind of like a weekend warrior. And, um, and so I, I spent some time reflecting last week on that. Like, what are the things I'm going to do to get better about that going into the new year? Because I know that I operate better when I feel better. Right. Um, so there's, to me, there's always this time of reflection of what's worked and not worked over the past 11 or 12 months. And then kind of looking out and, and looking into the new year, go, what are the things that I want to prioritize? And obviously for me, that's it's my family and, and my business. I, I, I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said for just people and in, in the phase of life that I'm in and in your thirties and forties and you got kids and you got work and you got uh, all these things and there's not as much time for, for friendship, but I think there's a lot of uh, outside of that. Right. But I think there's a lot of value that you find in having a good support system. I'm fortunate enough to have a, a group of guys that I've pretty close with that that we we take time to carve out and be together and, and be guys and learn and hold each other accountable i think that's a really important aspect of it so it's when i think about next year i go all right how am i going to make sure that i'm still carving out time for for those friendships that are going to build me up yeah. guys that don't care that i'm a ceo of a company right um i mean literally there a, a group text uh, a couple of days ago there's some news went out about about me um, good professionally. And these guys like send it and then they're busting my chops over it. You know, like how much did you pay for this? You know, it's like, yeah, that's the kind get, of stuff you that, need that, right? right? You need it. But then I also know that I need to, I need to invest in time with my wife, um, and, and taking time for the two of us to go and, 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 and not have time, not be around the kids and have time to, to invest in each other. Um, but then also to have time where we do invest, in the kids and spending time with them. I've got three girls. I love my one-on-one time with each one of my girls. Uh, yeah. They're just such awesome kids. I know everybody says that, but mine really are. And I, I just love spending time with them and I have to carve that out. And, um, and so I know I, I hear this thing sometimes where people are like, well, what do you make time for? And you, I think there's an argument to be said, well, like, well, you make time for the things that are important to you and their priorities. And I think the, the way that you do that is by building, but kind of building a plan and building a strategy around it. And so, so it doesn't feel like you're carving out time or you're making time. It's just part of what you're going to do in the new year. And so for me, it's, it's really about making sure I've got time for my wife, my time for my kids, my time for my friends, and then my time for myself, which is investing in my health and making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm doing well physically and, and, and mentally. I think the, the whole, you know, when people say, I don't have time for something, right? I, I just think that's bullshit, right? Yeah. No matter what you're saying, everybody has the same amount of hours in the day, right? Elon Musk and Beyonce have the same amount of hours in the day as Matt Pierce and Jared Morgan. Right. And so you have to choose. You have to choose. It's choices. It's not, I don't have, it's choices. And I know, okay, somebody's going to throw at me like extreme situations. And yeah, there's going to be extreme situations. But most of the time, right, you find people that even in extreme situations, they're able to make a choice with their, if you don't have like some serious home situation or whatever, and you're just saying, what did I, like you pointed out earlier, you know, you've got, uh, you're going to focus on your health a little more. Well, that's a choice, right? And you, right. and you were making choices before. I know my life has been like lots of choices. And I, I go through this process every year where I look at, you know, where I want to grow and, you know, where I'm, I look at my life in sort of three phases, professional, personal, and spiritual. And I think about the different things where I'm doing well and not doing well. And, you know, it's choices. And I, I write down, I'm actually going to do a podcast about this in a couple of weeks where I have this whole process that I've sort of built and I want to kind of like just get it out in the world. I feel really called to do that. Yeah, but awesome. 
every year I write down what I want to do. And, and I look back through the previous years and I kept seeing, you know, lose weight, lose weight. And I'm thinking, what, 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 wait, wait a minute. Like, what, what am I doing? Like, I'm writing the same thing down every year. And so, you know, I realized that I needed to change my approach because whatever I was doing after getting that sort of motivation, you know, wasn't great. And I've, I, I'm glad I've got some good people around me that encourage me and, and do that. That's really important. You were saying that before. It's good to have people bust your chops. Um, and, and I'm glad you've got some people that'll take you. Down. I know I have people in my life that take me down a peg. Like every time I'd have this great article written about me or the company or whatever, I would have a friend that would text me and remind me that, you know, Sally nine, two, four, seven on Twitter said I was a fat ginger. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you never, they're never gonna let me live that one down. Right. So right. you've, you know, you need to surround yourself with good people and you need to sort of like put your thoughts on paper and grow, um, by choosing intentionally how you're going to spend your time and the people you're going to surround yourself with, right? It's got to right. be intentional. Absolutely. And, and to, to what you started with, when people say, I don't have time, what they're essentially saying is that's not a priority to me. And that's not a bad thing, right? right? There's certain things in my life that aren't a priority for me right now. And I don't feel bad about it. I just know that to your point, I've got a finite number of hours in my day and I'm a, I'm a strong believer and, and, um, I, I, I don't try to hold other people to the same standards as myself. Uh, obviously I don't think anybody should, you should hold yourself to the standards that you hold yourself to and like really push hard. I, I do that. I, I know that the people around me, the people at this company, the people that are my friends, we're not all going to be on the same level and, and not, not in a, in a good or bad way. We're just going to be on different levels, right? We're going to have different priorities. And so what I think a lot about is not necessarily do I have the time for it. It's, what do I want to prioritize going into the new year? And so I think when, when you really take a, take a step back and say, well, you know, if, if I'm fast forwarding to the end of next year, where do I want to be? Well, what is it that I need to do to get there? And how am I going to prioritize those things? And so if I look at it and say, well, I want to be healthier. Great. Then I know I need to get back into working out four or five days a week. And I want my marriage to be stronger. I know I need to invest in, in more regular date nights and a couple of trips next year where it's just me and my bride. And, and I want my kids to know that their dad loves them and know that he's always there for them. And so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I prioritize that time with them one-on-one so I can invest in them. Um, and so I just think that those are, those are things that when, when you look at it and when you sit down and you're mapping out the new year, you're thinking about the new year, it really comes down to like, what do I really want to prioritize? Yeah. It's, it goes that way with money too, right? I say people, well, I can't afford something. I can't afford, ah, I wanted to start a business, but I don't have the money to you know, buy the piece of equipment that I need or the piece of software or whatever. And then, you know, you see somebody and they're skipping down Disney World, right? Disney World's expensive as hell right now. And you think, okay, well, did you, yeah, you probably did have the money. You made a choice to do something. Nothing's anything wrong with that choice. I'm not knocking the choice, but you have to, you know, it's a fallacy to say, I don't have the money to do something or I don't have the time to do something. When you spend your time or your money on other things Mm -hmm. and you may say, well, I have to do that. I have to, okay, but you know, you're, you're still a choice, right? You're making choices to do these different things and you got to kind of take some ownership and the th- the ways you spend your money and your time and the results you get as a, as a result of that. Right. Absolutely. So I've had to spin around again. Producer informed me that now that the sun's down, I turned into a shadow, uh, the joys and the challenges of grilling and podcasting outside. I, I, by the way, I have not been able to find or interact with anyone who regularly podcasts outdoors. And so this is all breaking new ground. 
if you go back to the first like five episodes or six episodes of this show, really probably episodes like four through eight, uh, man, it was a disaster. Like I was in the Alabama sun <laughs> with no shade. And so it was like, I'm sweating. And then my laptop overheats and I'm like, Oh, the episode's like super disjointed. Cause I have to move into the shade and like, yeah, you know, we're figuring this out, but <laughs> you know, so the last thing I want to ask is, you know, you've, you've been on a pretty incredible journey, Matt, you've got a bunch of good stuff going on. If you were talking to somebody that uh, was afraid to take the leap, right, um, was afraid to jump and, and, and get into entrepreneurship, what would you tell them to kind of say, these are the things you need to be thinking about if you actually want to go do this? It's, a, it's an interesting question because I, I actually, in some cases, if I'm talking to somebody one-on-one and they say, I'm, I'm, thinking, about, I'm thinking about starting a company depending on how well I know the person, I'm going to give them a different answer, right? If I know the person pretty well and they tell me they're going to do this, a lot of times what I tell them is I say, Hey, don't, don't do it. And they'll kind of go, don't do it. What are you, what are you talking about? <clears throat> and, and I'll say, I'll say, don't do it. It's going to be a really hard road. It's going to be really tough. It's going to be, it's going to be difficult. And there's going to be a lot of sleepless nights. There's going to be a lot of early mornings. Uh, a lot of times where you're really scratching your head and you think you made the wrong decision. So just save yourself the effort. Don't do it. Just get a job. Be happy. And I do that if I know them well, because if they're serious about this, they're going to tell me I'm wrong. They're going to go, no, 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 dude. I'm telling you, I've been thinking about this for three years and I'm ready to quit my job. And I know it's going to be tough, but I'm ready for it and I'm prepared for it. And I've got some money set aside and I've got this idea or I've got this business or I've got whatever, right? Um, because as an entrepreneur, you're going to be told no a lot, right? Uh, especially early on, you're going to get your teeth kicked in day in and day out and um, still get my teeth kicked in. You know, uh, it's, it's just different. I get to commiserate with the other 50 people here <laughs> when we get our teeth kicked in, uh, but I also get to celebrate with the other 50 people when, uh, when good things happen. And so if I know them well, I usually kind of push them of don't do it because I want them to feel, I, I, I want to see how bad they want it. So then if they say, no, I'm serious about this, I really want to do it. That's when, that's when I sit down and go, look, here's, here's the deal is it is, it's going to be hard. And, um, and, and what I think you've got to do to be really successful and especially early on is stay really, really narrowly focused. If you can be really narrowly focused in, in what you're trying to do as you're getting this off the ground, it's going to help you. Like there's, there's so many, I, I say, I still say it to our team, our leadership team and, and weekly leadership meetings. I tell them all the time. Uh, like the, I can't remember if it's Greek or Roman mythology, but I say, don't, don't, don't get drawn in by the sirens on the rocks, right? There's so many things in an early stage company that you can get, you can get focused on. And next thing you know, you look up and it's a quarter later and you've, you know, you've, you've burned $150,000 trying to build some new product or trying to go down a different, different rabbit hole that, that, that didn't work out. And so I think, especially early on, if you're getting going, You've got to try to find something where you can be narrowly focused and do it really well. You can always expand more in the future, right? Uh, that narrow focus can get broader because the market's bigger, you've got more experience or whatever it may be, right? For us, uh, it, it is, I'm, I'm, I say this because, and I also recognize I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit because early on I said I, I, I worked with any customer that would come our way. I'd, I'd work with anything. A big part of that for us was because I recognize I want to get to that narrow focus. 
And, and now we have our, our direct sales team only focuses on a couple of verticals and they're narrowly focused. And we're actually even, we even said like, Hey, what, what would happen if we went and hired a salesperson just for this vertical and one just for this one and, and an implementation specialist just for this vertical and right. Really get people to be really good at what they do. I think if you can do that and you can, when you can do that successfully, that's, that's where you're going to be able to really start to, to, to grow a business. And then I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there and this is a really long answer, Jared. I'm sorry. Oh, it's I'm great. Put this out there that, that. The next step is if you stay narrowly focused and you get going really good, the narrow focus also goes back to you, mm. right? Like, mm. what is it that you do really well? Like, what what is your superpower? What is, what, what is it that you can focus on 100%? Now, as a CEO, there's a lot of stuff you got to focus on, right? But if I sit back and look at like what I'm really good at, I'm for this organization, I'm really good at evangelizing. I'm good at talking about what we do and why we do it, how important it is. I'm good at talking about our mission. And so I love the opportunity to get in front of a prospect and tell them about where we've come from, why we're here and where we're headed and how it's going to be impactful for their organization to partner with us. Like one of the things I'm most proud of is we haven't lost a single customer due to us not performing. Right, we've lost a couple customers because they were acquired. Woo, run around and knock on something, knock, knock wood. I know, right? Yeah, knock on wood. Um, it's because we do our job so well, and because we keep people really focused. And so, what we do is, as we've grown, I evaluate myself, and I go, "What is it that I'm doing right now that I'm not great at? And what are the things I'm doing that I am great at? And how can I do more of what I am great at and less of what I'm not great at?" And that's hard when you're early on. It's just you. You got to do it all, right? Um, but so one of the things for me, like I went out and hired somebody early on that was a really good financial mind. Like I could, I could build performance. I did them enough. I did it well enough to raise a one and a half million dollar seed round, right? When it was just me. But when I knew I wanted to go raise five and a half million dollars on our next round of funding, I was like, I need to find somebody who can build a performer that makes mine look like you know uh, middle school and this guy's grad school, right? And that's what we did. So I went and hired a guy who used to be at Goldman. He came in and he put together some killer performance, helped us get our financial house in order. And now he focuses on finance and he focuses on operations, right? And then I go, all right, I need to, but even before him, I need to find somebody who knows how to build a really kick-ass product. And so I went and found a CTO that knows how to build a team that can build a product that's scalable and that works. And so to me, it's, it's there's always this, as an organization, you're continually looking at what are people's strengths and weaknesses? Where can you play to their strengths? And then you got to do that for yourself personally. So, I mean, I can sit down and, and I will do this. Um, so outside of my personal exercises, what I'm going to do in the year, I'm going to sit down and look at what, if I look at my calendar for the past two months, what are the things that I'm doing that I really don't like and I'm really not that good at? And how can I find someone to take those on that they are really good at? And then how can I do more of what I really like and what I'm really good at going into the new year? I think that's a hallmark of really good CEOs and, and really, really good leaders, right? Is people who have the ability to know what they're good at uh, and and are not threatened by the idea of admitting that somebody would be better suited to do something that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Like I've worked with, I've worked with a lot of different people through the years and the best ones are, you know, the ones that I try to model myself after are the ones that are comfortable admitting that, you know, Hey, this is, this is where I'm really good. And then they are able to go out and recruit people to join their team that, that complement their shortcomings and motivate those people and then sort of turn them loose to be great at the things that mm-hmm. they're great at. The, right. the weak leaders that I've worked with through the years are the ones that feel like they have to do everything. They have to be in every meeting. They have to be involved in every project. They have to, you know, they can't ever appear to be wrong. They can't ever, you know, those people 
it's a it's a it's a joke or a facade to pretend like you have every single answer and every single skill. Literally, nobody does. No human right. being on this earth is good at everything. And so if you're trying to pretend like you are, that's fake. And eventually people figure that out and they stop believing in you. Your business suffers because you're doing things that you're not good at and other people are better suited to do it. It's always better when a leader can understand and accept that uh, these are the things I'm good at and I'm not threatened by having somebody next to me that does the things that I'm not really good at. 100%. You, you hit the nail on the head, Jared. I mean, it's you, you want to surround yourself with smart people and good people and people that fill in your uh, fill in your weaknesses. Yeah. And I think if you can do that continually as you're building a company, uh, and I know you've done this, you've built a big business, when you can do that continually and you're regularly evaluating and you're looking not only at yourself, that self-awareness piece is huge. I agree. Good leaders are very self-aware, right? Uh, I can I can sit down. I mean, we I can I can probably tell you more about my weaknesses than I could my strengths because I'm very <laughs> critical of myself, right? I, I I know the places that I need help, and I know the places that I need to get either get better or fill in the gaps. Um, and I think when you find people that can do that in, in leadership positions, they're they're going to be they're going to be the people that are successful in the long run because they they know where to really maximize their strengths. That's good stuff. Well, Matt, I could sit here and talk to you all day, man. Why don't you tell our listeners if they are connected to a business that thinks they could benefit from immediate, how would they get in touch with you guys? Best thing to do is reach out to us. You can you can uh, inbound to info, I-N-F-O, info at joinimmediate.com, or you can email me directly. I'm Matt, M-A-T-T, Matt at joinimmediate.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn or follow Immediate on LinkedIn. We put a lot of really good content out there and we do a really good job of making sure that we're talking to our customers. We do a lot of customer testimonials and, and um, we've got a, a really awesome marketing team that goes around and does videos and talks to users and talks to decision makers and talks to uh, CEOs of companies that have implemented our platform. And they talk about why it's been so beneficial for them and their recruitment and retention efforts, um, but also for their, uh, their employees and how it's helped them better manage their finances and, and as I talked about at the beginning, giving them that financial safety net for when the unexpected happens. So um, LinkedIn, immediate, um, we would love to have you follow us there, but feel free to reach out to me directly if you have any questions. Yeah, I just want to say too, I love the part of your story. You guys clearly are really good at listening to your customers. I mean, you can hear that throughout your personal story and your business story too, as you're an organization that listens and reflects and, and really puts emphasis on trying to trying to build to what you're hearing. And that's such a hard thing for some people to grasp onto. They feel like they're supposed to go in the lab and, you know, they, everybody read the Steve Jobs quote, you know, you know, they don't know what they want. I'll, I'll tell them what they, you know, that's the, you're not, no one, you're not Steve Jobs, right? Like right. you listen to your customers and you build, something to solve their problems and and look what happens. You got a great growing business because you're really good at that. So congratulations to you guys, Matt. It was a huge pleasure to have you on the show and we'll hope we can have you back soon. Thanks so much, Jared. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the chicken and, and that uh, Alabama white sauce. I'm from Decatur originally and a lot of people say uh -oh. that's where... Uh, yeah, the they home. Say that, that's, yeah, and so that's where they say it originated. The white sauce motherland. That's right. So I grew up on it, man. I'm, I'm jealous. I may end up having to pull some out of my fridge tonight and have it myself. I love it. All right, buddy. We'll have you on here again soon. Thanks a lot. Cool. Thanks, Jared.